FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. Alongside columnist Jeff Calkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington, here's beat reporter Ron Tillery. Welcome to another edition of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm Ron Tillery alongside Jeff Calkins, our columnist, and our pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. And yes, the Grizzlies remain in the news, even though they aren't in the playoffs, but they have hired a head coach. His name is J.B. Bickerstaff. They've removed the interim tag from his title. He has a three-year deal. My understanding is it's a two-year deal with a third-year team option. And so they introduced him, guys, as you both were there, to uh, the media this afternoon or this morning, I should say, in the FedEx Forum main lobby. And before we get into that, I, I thought it was very telling that the owner Robert Perry wasn't there. Well, I, not surprising though. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I've been saying for a little while, ever since that he reasserted his ownership, that at least once I don't he doesn't need to like you know be Michael Heisley or Mark Cuban or whatever. Sure, but at least once to come into town and put his hand on the shoulder of Chris Wallace or J.B. Bickerstaff or whoever and say, "I'm back." This is my team. These are my guys. I believe in them. Just once. That, I think that would be helpful. And Jeff, that's what I thought. I mean, like, okay, the buy-sell thing is over with. Robert Perry ponied up the money to buy out these two minority owners who could have seized control of the team. And as Chris has said, you've got your general manager. You've got your coach. Why not come in and express a vision? Well, um, two things. What the Grizzlies would tell you is, is that is that until it's done, he's not going to come because he's not going to talk about the buy-sell thing until it's done. Right. Um, truth matters, he won't talk about it even after it's done. But, <laughs> right. but that's, what, right. that's what they would tell you now, is that they, yeah. until it's done, they can't. But the truth matters, they could come in and say, listen, we're not going to take any questions. We'll say why I want to continue on the team and whatever, but we're not going to take any questions about the specifics of that transaction sure. until it's done. He could have said that. Be that as it may, whatever you think of Picker staff, whatever you think, even – there is very clearly a yawning hole in the general leadership, public leadership, internal leadership, maybe less so. I don't really know, but the public of, a, of what is fundamentally a public entity that was supported with a two hundred fifty million dollar arena. There is an obligation. Uh, a, there's an obligation to provide some sort of community leadership there, and secondly, it's just good business. Like, right. it, like who, you, you have no sense of momentum for every corporation wants to have some sense of momentum and with a coach who's what'll get to the coach, but then a, a general manager who's, who's defensive or hidden away and then no one else to speak for the franchise. It is a yawning gap. And, um, and whatever you thought of, I forget Jason Levy and the person or the whatever, whether you like him or not, but at least when he was here, you knew he was the person, right? right? They need someone who you know is the person. And yes, I think that person should be should get the the the, the public uh, uh, endorsement of Robert Para. And then you could, but they they, they 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 seem to not understand or know or to be able to persuade Robert. I think some of them internally do know, right? Yeah. That there has to be some kind of leadership beyond what we're getting now. Well. And obviously, we're not going to spend 20 minutes talking about this. But I, when you said good business, it just struck me. 
last year I took my son to a Cubs game. And you can't get in the place in Wrigley Field. So we were in the 500 section. Imagine that, 500 level section at Wrigley Field. And who's up there shaking hands and taking pictures? But the owner of the Cubs. Right. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. You know, like, you know, he, he's just up in the cheap seats, just right. hanging out. Just saying, thanks for coming. Now that'll never know? be Para. I mean, right. Para will never do that. And in, right. and in fairness, there are effective owners, whether it's whether it's whoever the hell owns the Spurs or whatever, like mm-hmm. who don't do that. Cuban obviously did that. Mike Heisley did that. There, there you, are. You could put your hands on Hope with the Spurs, but but this yeah, is a situation yeah. where Chris Wallace has become That's fairly or not sort of a damaged figure as a public right. front of the organization because of the longevity he's had because of mm-hmm. some of the decisions. And so if he's going to be the guy and he might, he might, he's done it before. Maybe he'll do it again. He may be, they may be fine going forward, but if he's going to be the guy, because he's sort of a damaged figure, and we saw defensively was today, sort of a damaged figure as a public, you know, face to the franchise. I think it requires the owner to come back down and reassert his belief in Wallace. Right. right. And then it re- requires them to let Wallace be the public guy. Like if right. you're going to have him in this position, part of this position is whatever, maybe he's damaged, maybe people roll their eyes, maybe whatever, but he's got to be back out there and talking. Right. Like someone has to be out there and talking. And here's the other thing. Okay. I, I I don't think there's any, I'm not a critic of this, this hire, and I don't think there's anything reason to believe that J.B. Bickerstaff will be any worse than David Fisdale at all. Right. But with David Fisdale, what they did is because they have no vision, not no, because they have no public leadership broadly, they tried to rent one from Miami. Yeah, they rented one from Miami. They said, here's the vision. We just got it from Miami. We're opening up the box. Right. Here it is. He's he's ordering locker rooms painted, and he's like, whatever. He's the vision. It's that, that That's it. Well, that's not something JB is going to do. It's just, right. and to his credit in some ways, he's just going to be a basketball coach. He doesn't come with a self-already assembled vision. No. They tried to do it with, with, with Fisdale. He could be that guy. Yeah. JB's not going to be that guy. And so, so they're from that perspective. And again, some of it's PR, a lot of it's PR. They're just floundering from that perspective. Yeah. And so as we transition into actually talking about JB, I agree with you guys. I mean, I don't think it's a bad hire at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I think he has every chance to succeed if they allow him to coach and, well, and be and succeed. But here's my point. When Chris Wallace is sitting on that stage, when you guys talk about being damaged and, I asked the question about vision. Who's believing it? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like, he didn't sound like he believed it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say, I will say it is interesting. People keep asking about the vision. Yeah. They have a vision. Like that answer is their vision. Yeah. And people either don't like it or it's not long-term enough, or it seems like, they don't wishful. really understand wishful. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of things. It's kind of like but the parade they, down Beale Street. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're very clear. Like here's the vision. And we've yeah. said this before. Mm-hmm. The vision is we're getting back into the playoffs next year. Mm-hmm. We're going to give our, they don't say this part, but we're going to give our first round pick to Boston this coming year. Mm-hmm. We're going to hope we get a stud uh, from the playoffs. We're going to keep riding Mike and Mark as long as we can. And then as they age, we're going to hope that that this stud and Dylan Brooks and whatever else, that they become the new wave and away we go. That's the vision. On Bickerstaff, I want to take the, the ball away from our point guard, Ron, for a second so sure. I can throw it, so I can pass it back to you. <laughs> and I'm going to shoot it. Um, <laughs> Jeff and I did a pod. You know, we've known that Bickerstaff is going to be the coach for a while. Sure. We sort of knew it semi-officially last week. So Jeff and I did a podcast last week where we talked about what we thought about the decision to hire him 
and the process to do so, which has been criticized. You weren't here for that. Sure. So I want to hear from you and our listeners from here for you. What do you what what is your take, A, on the decision to keep JB Bickerstaff and B the criticism of the process or lack thereof in doing so? Well, I think the the criticism is silly of the process. You know, I you know, I you know, Chris Wallace has been a GM for twenty years. Ten with the Celtics, ten with the Grizzlies. I mean, if you don't have an idea of what you want, what direction you want your team to go and who can do it, then you're not worth your weight and salt. Right. So I like the idea that he said, this is our guy. The most successful coaches in Grizzlies history have been guys who have just been tabbed. Right. Evie Brown. Everybody thought that was crazy, but right. everybody except for Jerry West. And how did that work out? Same thing with Mike Fratello, who took him to two playoffs. Same thing when Mike Heisley went over Chris and said, Lionel Hollins is going to be our coach because this is what I believe in, and this is who I think can get, can get it done. Right. And so I think a, it's kind of like these draft workouts. There's too much emphasis put on the process. You know, you know they drafted Tony Roten because of the, the, the doggone uh, draft workout. Right. You know, they didn't draft James Harden because of the workout because guess what? James Harden stunk. Right. And he might have done it on purpose. <laughs> you know, well, so I, I think you have, have, you have to have conviction about the person and the plan. You know, and, and so that's why this doesn't bother me. JB's been here for two years. And I think people forget that he was hired as associate head coach. And I'll just go back in my history. When the Sonics fired Paul Westfall, they wanted Nate McMillan to take that job bad. And he had only been on the bench you know, outside of playing for, what, a year? Maybe two years? And he refused to take the job unless Dwayne Casey could be associate head coach. And, you know, people might think I'm just like, you know, just, I don't know, being silly about it. But just look at those guys' careers. Right. Dwayne Casey is a darn good coach. One of the best in the league, and yeah. And so is Nate so McMillan. So I, I think it's a good hire based on the fact that they've gotten to know him. J.B. Bickerstaff, and and they've decided that he's a fit. Yeah, you yeah. bring up a couple points I think are really important in this. Yeah. One of them is that you, I mean, he has been on the job in various capacities for two seasons, right? Yeah. And so they, they, have, they have been able to watch him up close. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you've been here for every coach this franchise has had since yeah. he's been in Memphis. And this is not the first bad season they've had. Right. Not all bad seasons are created equal in terms of the quality of the coaching. There have been times where I remember talking to you. This was years ago when Mark when Mark Afroni was the head coach. I remember me and you and being in a hallway one time. I looked up to you and I said, "This guy can't coach, right?" And you're like, "No, he can't coach." He was a disaster. Yeah, and this was before it had, that reality had settled in on everybody. You could just sort of feel it, right? Well, and at that point in time, and I think I remember that I was very, you know, being a beat writer, just intimately involved. When you're yeah. talking to players and you're talking to assistants, you sense a lack of belief. Oh my gosh, right? It was it was total lack of belief, and so. <laughs> I think being around the team, you see it more than, than I do, but being around the team, we see more than people do just watching games on television. Right. And the people who run the team see way more than we do. Right, because we're not in practice and yeah. all that stuff. And okay. so despite the one loss record, you get a sense of whether a guy is up to the job right. when he's doing the job, regardless. Because whether you win or lose is about your the talent you have to some right. degree. And everyone felt like this guy, everyone could see that, that, he, that he was up to it, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that, that you brought up is this idea of the interview and the importance of like these interviews. And I talked to Chris Wallace a little bit, a little bit about this after the presser. But let's say they'd gone out and interviewed all these people, right? Hey, they've already done it. A lot of these guys who are interviewing for jobs now, they interviewed like two years ago, James Borrego and right. like whoever. 
But let's say you bring in people for interviews and the guys wow you in the interviews. They interview better than J.B. Bickerstaff interviews. Are you going to believe that good interview more than the last two years, what you've seen like in your organization? Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, you, you take a guy like Lionel Hollins. I mean, he, how many interviews did he have? Never right. got a job. Right. And but when, when he finally was just given the chance, he proved it. But when, right? well, once a guy decided that that's my guy. Well, as yeah. I, I made this point before, <laughs> literally the two best coaches in Grizzlies history, Hubie and Lionel, there was no process. Jerry picked Hubie and, and, and Heisley picked Lionel. And Fratello like, goes in there. Was, yeah, and Fratello yeah. goes. Yeah, Fratello yeah. goes in there too. So yeah. it was. Um, it was. Yes, I, I think. I honestly think the process thing. If they had done the process and then at the end of it hired JB, then all you'd be hearing was, "I can't believe they didn't hire." You know, right. whatever. Name name your flavor of the month. Then they would have right. criticized. I think it was, and I really think the criticism. And this is the part I agree with isn't really so much about JB right. as it's about everything above JB, which we just basically co-signed. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, 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 I think when people talk about process, they're talking about the front office. They're not talking about the quality of coach that JB is. Do you have a sense, and you, you asked a question sort of in this regard, Ron, and it didn't get very specific in a response, and I tried to come at it a different way and, and almost didn't get my question in, <laughs> but do you have a sense, because he's been, he was put in such a lost situation, do we have a sense of what kind of a coach like JB Bickerstaff is, or is that something we're going to find out next season? Well, um, in terms from a tactical standpoint, from a on the court standpoint, we know he can handle people, right? And we know that that may be the most important part of the job, sure. But in terms of like what, how are you managing your basketball team? What kind of yeah. style you want to play? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think coming from Houston, where he did lead the dysfunctional Rockets to the playoffs as an interim coach, um, I do think offensively he wants to play up and down, and you know, with pace. Um, but I, I think he's also a defensive-minded coach. I don't think it was a coincidence that Fisdale had him uh, not just working with Mark, but designing their defense. Right. And so I think they'll get after it on both ends. And I, and I think what that means offensively is they'll play fast and, and shoot the threes. I don't know if you can play fast when Marcus Gasol's your center, though. Like, period. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think – I just think that's almost baked in a little bit. Yeah, but I don't think – they're going to dial back on him shooting the threes. Right, right. I think which is, you know, one of the major changes that it was It was interesting right? that he said the Grizzlies that you saw under him bore very little resemblance to. Yeah. Very little resemblance. That's why it's going to be interesting to, to see next season. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. like, yeah, which is, yeah. I, I, I don't. And of course, some of it does depend on the roster. <laughs> I mean, that's the other point. Well, that, speaking that of that, do we think all the playoff talk, before today and after today, but especially today, mm-hmm. is that does that do him a little bit of a disservice in terms of expectation as a head coach? That is not my expectation of him well, as a head coach. And, and, and to be honest, I don't think it was any of our expectations before last season, before everything fell apart, right. uh, based on the roster. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think it kind of does because it sets the bar really high. Like, this guy is going to lead us to the, to the promised land. Not championship, but... You know, getting back to the playoffs in the Western Conference is not going to be easy. No. I think JB did his best to temper that by saying, we're going to be a competitive team. We're going to fight. You're going to be proud of our effort. You're going to right. be proud of how we play. He didn't say playoffs or bust. Right. No, he did talk about, we think we can be back in the playoffs, but yeah. clearly because that is the vision, so he has to sort of co-sign it. But he right. then says, no matter how it turns out, right. whether we're rebuilding or whether we're playoffs. Right. I sort of think it's an interesting position they're in because 
if it's not to get into the playoffs, what the hell are the, is the point of what they're doing? They have to say playoffs, right? Because no, what I, are they I, doing? We're, I know they we're aiming for tenth, but, but it's, this isn't aiming for a title like Fisdale's used to do ridiculously. Yeah, he, for a title. I, I know Wallace sits there on stage and say that. I just hope that in reality, as they are evaluating him in reality, and as we are evaluating him in reality, mm-hmm. that is not necessarily the standard we hold. I think it's the standard they have clearly set for the fans. Right to judge to judge Bickerstaff by it. well, and, you know and I th- that may not be fair. I think if we're being real about it, he's Fisdale two in the sense that here's a guy thirty nine years old, and 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 Chris Wallace was right to point out young coach, great experience, but here's a guy who's going to transition us, which is what Fisdale was supposed to do. Right. So you you can you can go down both paths. Like you can say with Mike and Mark, we're going to try to make the playoffs. But at the same time, they're looking to him to transition them into the future. And that shouldn't be lost in all of this. Right. Because right. he, he, he still got to develop players. He still, I mean, they got a top five pick yeah. coming. Well, how about when Chris Wallace said the heavy lifting has been done? <laughs> That's what he said. He turned in the roster. He said most of the heavy lifting has already been yeah, done. I no. said, which, no. which, heavy, which heavy lifting is that? No, Getting no. Dylan Brooks counts right. as the hell in the heavy lifting? <laughs> the, just to, to bring people up to uh, uh, the defensiveness that we were talking about, um, Chris started to ask a question. Um, and how did, how many words did you get out? Like three or four. He got three or four I, words. I, I, out. I was setting up a premise and I said like, stop you're, your you're, draft lottery. Or I was going to have, yeah. you're going to have a high draft pick this summer. Right. And right. so that's, he got out and Chris immediately jumped in and said, we're here to talk about the coach. We're not here to talk about the other blah, 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 blah. And it was like, whoa, like, <laughs> like that is the absolute, right. the measure of how as if, you're, as if they, your roster issues aren't relevant to your coaching. This is a guy yeah. who used to right. just go on the radio every single week and get pummeled cheerfully. Right. <laughs> and now he just four words and he's, well, but we're not talking about that. It was, it's really, it was really dramatic how, how it mm-hmm. uh, evolved. I don't think um, in some ways it's sort of interesting. He's more, who knows how it will turn out, but he is more, prepared for this job than David Fisdale was. And yet David Fisdale, when he got this job, was acclaimed. And J.B. Bickerstaff, when he got in this job, is sort of, eh. Is, don't you think it's true, I, though, that he's... Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, uh, J.B. Has, has worked for 14 years as an assistant, has two interim, you know, uh, jobs. He comes from a father who was a legendary coach and in, in NBA GM and Bernie Bickerstaff. Right. And so, for those reasons alone, I don't understand why this is met with uh well, there's indifference. Some, there are some similarities to the Ivoroni um Hollins thing, and not to draw too tight of a parallel because David Fizzle proved way, way more than Mark Avroni ever did. Yeah. But in terms of like Avroni had that Phoenix shine, hadn't had never done it before, so you could put it envision all you wanted. Um Fisdale had the Miami shine, had never done it before. Hollins like had had, had his chances, had been interim coach, had been a longtime assistant, had been passed over, and so he didn't have the shine. And Bickerstaff was ca- there's some similarities between those two things. And having learned my own lesson, because I was in favor of the Averoni hired, I was against the Hollins hired, I was wrong on both counts, right? Mm-hmm. So having learned my lesson in the past, my attitude has sort of become: we don't really know what these guys are going to be as head coaches until they become head coaches. And so much of the strong opinions people have about new hires is based on reputation and resume and all this theoretical stuff, right? Well, it's interesting because, you know, what Jeff said just makes me think, I mean, there was no meh when they hired Dave Yeager. 
And he yeah. was a, he was a D league coach. Right. He was a Dave guy. Yeager he, was different. Dave Yeager well, was some people were. Some, but was, but he, he was riding the bike, and somebody right. gave him the keys to, to the Ferrari. My point is, <laughs> he'd been the lead assistant on this team that had had all these several it, playoff the other difference runs. Is, is he actually was there was a split on Dave when he was hired. He was not as popular when he was hired as as Fisdale was because mm-hmm. there were half people were calling him or a I backstabber really, and right. were bemoaning that Lionel was gone mm-hmm. and half the people were lumping it. So there was a schism when Dave was hired. Yeah. When the, literally the only job ones where there was just total acclaim were Ivoroni, Fisdale, and maybe I think the Zara, the Telestrator was widely acclaimed too. We I missed Hubie. I don't remember, but he was too, because he was on TV. Like that's yeah. who we liked. And, and the Zara was okay. The other two didn't, didn't last two years. Neither one yeah. of them lasted two years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think um, ultimately, what, what do we think about what Fisdale had to say? Do you, do you think he was just... What Fisdale had to say? What I'm sorry. Was like, right. We've been saying right. Fisdale so much. Right. Fisdale, what Bickerstaff had to say today uh, in his introduction. I, I mean, I didn't really, honestly, didn't. I tend to not draw a lot from these press conferences. Sure. I, I believe what... I, I was I was picking up what he was putting down last season, amid all the 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 struggle that he inherited. Like I believed him, and there were times, like I said before, with Ivoroni, where you look up, and you're like, I don't really believe what this guy's saying. I always believed what Bickerstaff was saying, and so that's, that was no different today. I think he's really impressive. I think yeah. he's honest and impressive, and I like I totally believe him. But I didn't really have a strong reaction to him today. I think something that you said because I listened to you guys uh, last week is very important. He he does strike you as being adaptable. Yeah, and I think that's very important, extremely important. Well, that's what I was trying when, to get when, at with when, that. With when you that. don't have strong input on how right the, the roster is built, you have to be. That's what I was trying to get at when I with that question that Chris almost didn't let me ask is <laughs> that like it, you know if if they had if they get the top pick in the draft, you draft DeAndre Ayton, and then you're going to try to play DeAndre Ayton and Marcus all together. Not every NBA head coach can handle that yeah. stylistically. Like Mike D'Antoni is a great coach, but he's not coaching that. Yeah. If you fall to fifth and you think Trey Young's the best player on the board, and you're thinking, well, how can can Trey Young and Mike Conley? How can we make it? Not every head coach can do that. And so, if you're going to make the hire before you have this, before you exercise the top five pick, you have to have faith that the coach you have can adapt to whatever talent, which way it goes. So what struck Jeff, me was his oh, honestly from what he said, and again, like who knows? Like you win the, I thought I thought Derek Dooley from Tennessee was big and great opening press conference, and who in the heck knows? Mm-hmm. What does strike me about him is his humility and yeah. just sort of the decent way he seems to treat everybody. And it is no surprise in retrospect that you asked him a question about how he forged a relationship with Mark, given that he was Fizz's right-hand guy and Fizz couldn't get along with Mark or didn't right. get along with Mark. How did he? Well, because you can just see it. Like he's he doesn't have any ego. It doesn't appear to. Like he doesn't have any. And so there's not a lot of drama or anything else. He's just. He is what he is. He must have spent 17 minutes thanking people at the beginning. and um, Yeah, before he answered my question. It was, answered, it was his only time to talk. Right, and he was like, well, hold up. Hold on. I, he had nobody, to thank everybody. Wasn't that kind of, well, I, I, I hate to cut y'all. Wasn't yeah, that kind of weird? They let Chris go on and on and on and on. And they didn't even let JB say opening statement. statement. <laughs> yeah, there was right. no yeah. statement. But so, anyway. But anyway, so yeah. So I just, it is. it was not a surprise to me that he was able to hit it off with Mark in a way that Fisdale, who brought in his own stuff. There was something to clash with, with Fisdale. Yeah. There isn't, you know, he just seems, seems like a really decent guy. Now that doesn't mean he's going to be, who knows what that's going right. to mean when it comes to the coach. Right. But, um, um, in terms of the roster, by the way, any developments or thoughts, um, going forward? Are you on the, 
view that Tyreek Willer will not come back at this point, Ryan? I think Tyreek is 50-50, honestly. You know, I, you know, there's a lot of reasons to believe that he won't be back. You know, given, he wasn't mentioned, by the way, in the today's you know, press conference. I mean, no, because they were rattling off players. Yeah, right? given the fact that um, you know he was gone for some for personal reasons, you have the whole fiasco with the trade deadline without him being traded and being forced to sit out. My understanding, he was missing shoot arounds and practices, and you know his behavior had uh, become less than professional. But on the flip side, the reason I say fifty fifty is because he may have no choice. You know, what, what if there's no money out there for him and the Grizzlies have their mid-level and want them? Right. And, yeah. I'm not convinced that the big contract above the mid-level is there for him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even at the peak of his season. I wasn't convinced of that. Yeah. At the same time, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to be able to get a better basketball player for that right. money. So it may just be that, you know, the last... It happened. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to get back to Mark. Oh, since you brought up Mark. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have no, a comment? Okay. I, I talked to Mark this morning, and he basically said, Fisdale, I'm, I keep saying Fisdale, Bickerstaff is the guy and can be a good coach and made it a point to say without restrictions. Right. How do you guys read into that? Well, I think it was clear to everyone that at a certain point last season, they pulled the plug. And, like, mm-hmm. you can't say, like, you know, we're taking or we want to lose, but, like, you, you know what you want for the – you know you want that draft pick, right? Right. And so it was clear that 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 the organizational directive, if not to outright lose, they weren't trying to lose games on the floor, but it was not to win. That was not the goal of the season, and that has to chafe against more, everything Marcus all sort of believes. Sure. I mean, we sort of saw that. And so, yeah, I don't think he, even given the limited resources that he had, he was not putting putting those resources one hundred percent to bear on trying to win games every night. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I don't know that that. I mean, I don't know how many restrictions were on other coaches or how many restrictions were on Fisdale or Yeager or anyone else before them. So I think that was a product of, I suspect from when Mark's talking, it was mm-hmm. a product of last year when Mark must've been railing against the restrictions coming out in the fourth quarter against Portland, not playing a minute in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I think he was probably referring to that yeah. and not to, I don't know that one of the complaints I would have about this front office generally is that they, impose, you know, obviously they've clashed at times with their front office, with the, with the coaches for various reasons. Um, and, but I don't, I don't think that is a pattern of this front office. I don't think Chris Wallace rules with an iron fist in terms of what goes on on the, on the no. court. And I think he will be able to basically be without the restrictions yes. and, and maybe Chandler who knows injuries and stuff like that. As long, right. as, as, long as they're in a playoff race, but, but they, they, right. have, they, 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 the they have this medical team that has great influence. Right. And like, you got to get cleared through three layers, it seems, for for the head coach right. to make a call. I, I I think that's a part of it. Isn't that a way? Because I've been on the road with them where Mark's tweaked something and then they're like huddling up and and like I've heard like Wexler's been in on this. Like why the hell should Jason Wexler well, be that. in on um, on decisions on whether a guy can play? Well, I don't know anything about that, and that that would be weird if that's true. Yeah. But from a basketball standpoint, isn't that just sort of the way the league is trending though? to be more careful of on the medical side. Yeah, but but I don't know if 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 teams have such a robust team, medical team as the Grizzlies. Like the trainer almost has no input. Hmm. Whereas it used to be the trainer says he can go and can go. You know, that's my understanding talking to people. Right. Interesting. I don't did Mark by the way say that he that he met with Para? He did not. 
He did not. Yeah. Because that was what we were waiting on. It sounds like he's all in, though. If he cares enough well, about yeah, this coach, yeah, yeah. he's obviously, yeah. he's not, you know, yeah. I don't think we have any misgivings about whether he's sure. not coming back or anything. We're going to yeah. request a trade. I think the only potential weirdness I see with Gasol is if the draft lottery shakes out in a way that it's Aiton. That Aiton, they believe Dronier Aiton is the best player on the board when their pick comes up. Because that guy's just a center. I think it's all as a center. And I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to watch them try to play together, but like, it's not like a fit. And so does yeah. that, does that lead them to take a player that they actually don't think is the best because of a fit or does it create some friction with Gasol if they take the guy? That's all theoretical because we don't even know where they're going to pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the case of Aiden, I understand that argument. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just squeeze Deontay Davis who has not panned out so far and, 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 and you just, reduced Gasol's minutes, which you would have to do anyway because he'll be 34 next year yeah. and play as much Aiden as you can. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a way to manage it, and yeah. I, I think that's how you start. Yeah, yeah. because, I, I mean, as much as they try to sell us on Davis. He's getting I mean, squeezed I, by Ivan Rab, much less. Yeah, how much are you buying him? Right. You know? yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, you know, to come full circle, and, and we got to wrap this up, you know, I, I'm okay with J.D. Bickerstaff. I mean, I, I'm not saying they settled. I don't think there's evidence to say he's, he's going to be a bad coach. I don't think there's evidence to say, you know, he's going to be a great coach. But I think there's evidence to suggest that he earned a shot. I'll say this. I would say it. This, is the, <laughs> this is the last, if it doesn't work out, this is the last coach and the last draft pick Chris Wallace will ever introduce. This is it. Like, this is his last swing. Right, and so you hope it works out. You hope what, JB and uh, Donkic take them into a glorious future. But he's not going to be sitting up there introducing someone else as the as the perfect combination of whatever. Not in a year um, and a half. Not in a year and a half. <laughs> right. That's not happening. Yes. Yeah. Final thoughts, Chris? No, I, I, I agree. I, I was impressed by 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 Bickerstaff. What I saw of him in the past year considering the circumstances, and I have no reason to believe he, he can't be a good NBA head coach if he has the talent to work with. All right. Well put. Well, that's this edition of the Grizzlies Podcast. Check out Chris, Jeff, myself, Ron Tillery, on CommercialPill.com and the Commercial Pill app for all of your Grizzlies coverage. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. The Grizzlies Podcast is hosted by Ron Tillery, Jeff Calkins, and Chris Harrington and posts each week during the regular season at CommercialAppeal.com. You can also subscribe to the Grizzlies Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.